0: the context for our gospel reading this morning in Matthew 11 is that people are understanding Jesus they're not understanding his words or his works you might say they're not understanding the way in which he is bringing the kingdom of god to bear on our world it's not matching their long standing imaginations So we read in our passage in Isaiah today that one of the signs of the coming of the Messiah would be these deeds of power and these acts of goodness. And everybody kind of knew that, but that wasn't the accent. The accent on the people of Jesus' day is that when God came, he would bring judgment. That he would judge those who was oppressing Israel So though Israel was no longer exiled, you know, they weren't in Babylon, they weren't in Egypt or something, they were, quote, back in their land, what they weren't getting is that the land was never the point. Geography was never the point. The point was to be reconnected with their God, being God's cooperative friends, living constant lives of creative goodness in cooperation with Yahweh. And doing so through the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of loving other people around them. But back in the land, it was still just turmoil. Infighting in Israel, hating the Gentiles, and hoping that God would come and judge their enemies. That is to say, people who saw Israel different than them. That is to say, Israel is a religious people. And of course, they would judge uh, the Gentiles. But none of this is happening. And so people are misunderstanding Jesus, and this is why he says to them, who do people say that I am? And for John, this raises a corollary, and that's this. If you're not who you think I am, excuse me, if you're not who I think you are, then who am I? Like if I've got this wrong, then this stuff you just said about me You know, greatest born of a woman, most important of all the prophets, preparing the way for the Messiah. Wait a minute. If you're not the one I think you are, well, then who am I? And this, of course, is sort of the human dance, right? Human beings all around us are wondering, is there a God? Which God? You know, how do I understand God? And then the corollary. Well, how do I understand myself then in reference to all these questions about who God might be? So sitting in prison while Herod's power is growing and apparently winning the culture wars. Did you catch that? So John's in prison. Herod's apparently winning the culture wars. Nobody's touching his power. Nobody's even coming close to matching his influence on culture. So John may have been sitting in prison thinking, well, maybe I'm not who I think I am. Maybe actually I'm chaff and not wheat. Maybe I'm actually a goat and not a sheep. Maybe I'm actually of the darkness, not of the light. And in today's negativity towards Christianity, Lots of people out in the world can relate to this, wondering, is Jesus the real deal? Should I bet my life on him? I mean, just stop and think for a moment. How many people do you actually know just in your general life who are betting their life on Jesus? I just bet my life that he, what he says actually corresponds to the most important realities there are in all of the cosmos. And I'm willing to venture on his teachings and his way of being. But for most people, we're left wondering, does Christmas really matter? Or are the birth narratives really just kind of old, quaint stories? But they're ultimately powerless against the Herods of the world, the Caesars of the world, the the nation states of the world today, the political systems of the world, the economic systems. How can these quaint old birth stories that we review every year in Advent do they actually have any power, any worth against today's forces of evil? And so our story today is just giving us a window into John's heart. He's concerned in a similar way. He's actually wondering, are you the one to come or should we look for another? Now, this is one of those unfortunate places in the English, our English Bibles that doesn't really catch it. So sorry for a brief Greek lesson, but it's important. Um, you know, in the... In John 14, 15, and 16, when Jesus says, I'm leaving, but don't worry, I'll send you another comforter. Well, these Greek contexts can be very stark. So if somebody gave you a cold cup of coffee in a restaurant, you said, Oh, please, can I have another? What would you mean? I want one of a different kind. But if somebody gave you some, I don't know, a really great dish in a restaurant and said, Would you like another? you would know that they mean, well, I want another of the same kind, like that was delicious. Well, that kind of wordplay is happening here. It's this very stark thing that says, if you're not the one, then should we be looking for something like completely different? Like maybe you're not the one. Maybe we've misunderstood this. Maybe you're just another in a long line of failed messiahs because first century Palestine and you know, 50 or 100 years on either side of it was full of self-appointed false messiahs so this isn't just rhetoric John is literally sitting in prison because he confronted the powers right he thought that that the messiah was going to come and confront the powers and so John does he's, he has his finger right in Herod's chest and says you're not you're nothing your power is nothing but Jesus he's the real deal and so now he's in prison for having said that And so Jesus answers him, as we heard, go tell him what you're seeing and hearing, because it corresponds to what Isaiah the prophet predicted would happen when the Messiah came. So go tell him that the blind are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are being raised up, and the poor, that is to say the exiled and the oppressed, have the good news preached to them. So Jesus is trying to assure John by this unfolding story that yes, I am indeed the one, that this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God is made manifest. The miserable and the desolate of this earth learn that God is on their side. Those of you who are here uh, to, to see the announcements, did you see the little twinkle in Cindy's eye As she told the story of our generosity towards local Hispanic families who have nothing, homeless, nothing, the desolate of the earth, when they get a little glimpse that God is on their side through God's people, this is the inbreaking of God's kingdom. Just little by little, the things that we do individual and as congregations and the whole church in Orange County here and the whole church around the world, this is what it looks like. When God's kingdom come, the desolate, the excluded realize that God's on their side. But some of you will be able to really relate to John in prison, going, well, that's lovely. Good for them. But uh, Lord, you just said I'm the greatest ever born of a woman, and I'm rotting away in prison here, so like lovely for those who are being healed and stuff, but uh, Lord... What about me? This is what's going on in John. It's not making any sense to him. Sorry for the big word, existentially. It's not making any sense to him in his own experience. It's at this point sort of rhetoric, rhetoric and abstract and sort of conceptual. Okay, I can see that this is maybe okay, I get this whole connection to Isaiah, but it's not really working for me. Why aren't you confronting Herod on my behalf? Why is Herod winning? Right? Can't you just hear yourself saying this? Like, Lord, what gives here? I confronted the powers. I tried to be a part of the inbreaking breaking of your kingdom. You're out palling around with sinners and tax collectors, extending mercy to these people. You're extending mercy into this system that's oppressing me, who you say I'm your best buddy. Right? Can you hear, it, John? Like, I'm your cousin for crying out loud. Right? I mean, wouldn't you just be appealing with all these things in your head? Get me out of this prison. Let me come work with you. And this is why for us, when we see things day in and day out on the news, and and this is virtually all you see, is that the powers, as Paul would say, or the principalities appear to be winning. I mean, on the news all day, every day whether it's personal things like that girl who just got shot at point blank range with that shotgun in that high school in Colorado or whether it's big stuff that, you know, the death of Mandela reminds us of, you know, systematic injustices. So whether it's big and broad or up up close and personal at the end of a shotgun barrel, all day, every day, the news reminds us that the inbreaking of the kingdom isn't really happening and that we're sort of foolish for believing in these birth narratives. Well, can I just tell you something? The news doesn't care about the inbreaking of the kingdom. It's not on their radar screen. Even cable TV people who say they're Christians, they don't get this, trust me. They might have some sort of cultural Christianity attached to them. They might even be sincere about their faith in some sort of personal way. But I'm telling you, even nine out of 10 news people who would identify as Christians, they're not really seeing that behind the scenes, no matter what it looks like, John's in prison and Jesus is out doing this funky stuff, hanging around with the people we thought he was going to judge the kingdom is actually expressing itself and beginning to permeate more and more but it does so in these ways that the news is ever never going to pick up i mean come on i want you to get this a little yeast a little salt a little light amongst the world's darkness these modest little ways in which the kingdom come that's never going to fit the nightly news it's not interesting Unless, of course, you have a heart that's aligned with that and have some sense of, yeah, this is, this is the way things actually are. And so it leaves us to wonder maybe how could John ask this? He saw biblical prophecy fulfilled right before his eyes. He witnesses Jesus' baptism. He heard the Father speak from heaven. And even though he told Herod he was not the real king that Jesus was, there was still something not working for John, something Jesus was doing or failing to do was not fitting with John's expectations of the Messiah. And so then Jesus' indirect answer to him, you notice Jesus doesn't answer him directly like, yes. This indirect answer that Jesus gives him broadens the issue to sort of say to John, I want you to look around at the evidence, what do you see? And then you decide on your own if I'm for real. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. Here's what Isaiah said would happen. Here's what's happening. Here's your historic story, John. Here's what's happening right in front of your eyes. You decide. You decide if I'm for real or not. And then you decide if you can trust and follow me. Because what Jesus is getting at here, as I've told you several times, whenever you hear Jesus saying these kind of things and it doesn't seem really concrete and stuff and you wonder what he's getting at, just assume that he's being brilliant. Just start there. Just assume that there's stunning brilliance underneath what he's saying. And in this case, here's the stunning brilliance. Only growing understanding that's self-authenticated. That is to say, not merely mental, but only a growing understanding that one experiences within themselves to be true can sustain discipleship to Jesus. See, lots of us come out of systems where we sort of chafe at, well, why'd they make such a big deal out of us reading the Bible? Or why why do people make such a big deal out of us praying or whatever? Because only understanding can can sustain growth in any human endeavor. You will give up guitar if you can't sustain some understanding in it. You'll quit. You'll quit trying to learn to speak French if you can't have a growing understanding in it. it this is true of any human endeavor, but it's especially and mostly true of discipleship to Jesus because we're all like John rather constantly. And so we, unless we have these little glimpses of insight, we begin to quit And all over America today are cultural Christians, even people sitting in churches who are cultural Christians, but have really quit on any sort of meaningful followership of Jesus because they don't have the growing understanding that can sustain actual trust and actual followership. So one good reason to study and to know the Bible stories and to know the Bible characters is that these characters have our human weaknesses. They share our misunderstandings and discouragements and doubts. Look at Elijah. Not even that, maybe one of the greatest stories in the whole Bible, calling down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, was not enough. He runs from Jezebel and asks God to take his life. David wanted to revenge murder so bad that he would have done it had Abigail not stopped him. Jeremiah was so self-loathing that he cursed the day he was born. So this is like an epidemic, (laughs) amongst God's followers and always has been. And, and most of us don't rise to those, you know, sort of big things, but we've all got these things in us that either in fact set us aside or make us think that we're set aside. And one great source of Advent joy then that springs forward from our readings today is this, that God can do more than one thing at a time. And he can use imperfect vessels like John while simultaneously transforming our lives. It's not one or the other. Everybody gets to play while two things are happening simultaneously. One, God uses you as a vessel, as you are, and he, can, and he then consistently transforms us as we go. And so as we have a moment of quiet this morning, you might ask yourself, um, where do I sense that God has been seeking to use me? Where have I been feeling little nudges? But you know, they usually are little, like butterflies landing on us or something. Very gentle. And we have to pay attention to them. And maybe for some of you, in what way do you feel imperfect and thus set aside and maybe need a moment of hope this morning that God can do two things at once? He can use you where you are and continue to transform your life.